interestingly enough, there was a solar eclipse in Mesoamerica that rose in eclipse. Here's a problem with the Star of Bethlehem. Nobody freaking saw it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Aaron okay. didn't see it. His guys didn't see it. The yeah. only ones that knew about it or explained it, you know, thought of it, looked, even knew anything about it were the Magi, right? That came from far in the east. Yeah. Yes. And the c- cool thing about this solar eclipse that occurred at that date is it traveled and it set at sunset in Persia. <laughs> Or the Magi were. Whoa, really? Yeah. I'm spending money like I just got paid. Hundred dollar bills, tell them keep the change. Come on. It didn't occur in Israel or in China where they actually keep records of these things. So pop a bottle about to make it rain. Let me give you something now to celebrate. Come on. You have what's called a coronal mass ejection or emission. And if you're wondering why I move the way I do. I just feel so good. That king, born of fire, the she cock in, in, in Maya, um, Aaron, who is the king that Mormon battled. Uh huh. In Hebrew, Aaron means conceived or born in flame. Hmm. So it's the same guy. Whoa, and that is crazy. So the following is an episode of Ward Radio and does not represent the thoughts or the opinions of KHTS, its owners, or any of its affiliates, nor does it represent the official opinion of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. With that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Ward Radio. I'm your host, Cardinalis, and today I'm joined in the studio by none other than Ed Thomas, bodyguard, as well as Jerry Grover, prolific author and geologist who has brought to brought to our attention some really interesting stuff in his new book, Calendars and Chronology of the Book of Mormon, where he debunks a bunch of anti-Mormon attacks against the uh, geology, the archaeology of the church, that there was no night of darkness before Christ came in third Nephi, and and a bunch of other stuff. I, I can't even do your book justice in the intro, Jerry, so why don't you just jump right in, tell us who you are, Tell us what your books talk talks about and show us how there actually was a night of signs and wonders and explain all these really cool pictures that you put in the book. I'm very grateful. Usually these uh, usually these apologetic books don't have cool, awesome graphs and stuff like that that we can just look at. And us visual guys, we really appreciate that. The troglodytes, we appreciate it when you speak in our third grade language, which is pictures. So anyway, Jerry, who are you? What's your book? What do you prove? Give us the whole nine yards, Jerry Grover. Go. Yeah, I put those pictures in with you in mind. I watch your got- <laughs> podcast quite often, so I know the kind of level I'm dealing with here. Yeah, so. flattery will get you everywhere, baby. baby. Flattery will get you everywhere. Wait, so that was a diss, not that a compliment. A oh, savage, man. Well, okay. Savage. Just like many things could be interpreted either way. So. <laughs> okay, all right. So tell us about your book, dog, before I kick you out of my studio. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, the book uh, talks about, the explains the night of brightness, that um, is in the Book of Mormon scientifically and also uh, explains the signs and wonders that are mentioned along with that prior okay. to Christ, just before Christ was born. Now, um, when you say it explains the Book of Mormon scientifically, like what aspect? The archaeological proof that Nephi was in Zarahemla in this spot uh, north of Serpent Mound? or That's my next book. I haven't got oh, to that. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so what when you say it, it, it scientifically explains well, Book of Mormon, what do you mean? Well, what I do, if you look at all my work, I, uh, because I'm a scientist, I'm actually a licensed professional engineer, licensed geologist, 
I look, I have a unique look at the Book of Mormon. So I look at scientifically how these things happen. I also look at linguistics of the Book of Mormon. So that's kind of my bailiwick. I know you don't like that word. No, that's a great word. <laughs> I'm going to use it today. You know what I'm I know saying? in yeah. a prior podcast, you guys choked on that one this, oh, okay. when Don Bradley brought it up. I don't so. remember that. I do not remember that. Chemo brain is kicking in. So let's go. <laughs> so I'm a bit, you know, I'm a fanboy here. So, um, uh-huh. but um, basically, so this one is looking at what could actually explain this night of brightness scientifically without relying on some miracle, right? And then also, the, what are the signs and wonders that they're talking about that also accompanied it? So, okay, yeah. So that's my approach, is it's, it's kind of explaining it scientifically. Um, not really, it's not really a faith-promoting kind of thing. It's just I explain it all, you know, kind of in the cold, cruel world of science. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's the cold, cruel world of science that explains this night of darkness? Because I've actually read a lot of anti-Mormon literature that says like, oh, the Book of Mormon can't be true because there is zero archaeological evidence that there was a, a night with no darkness that preceded the coming of Jesus Christ in the Americas, or at least his birth, as it's told in Third Nephi. Yeah. Uh, what's your response to that? Well, I don't show it archaeologically, but I show it scientifically how it could have happened in this particular case. So, Okay, hit it, brother. Yeah, so you, you basically have to look at the Book of Mormon and, and what it says. It says you had this night of brightness. It didn't occur in Israel or in China where they actually keep records of these things. So it had to be something that was more of a local event. Um, okay. You also, it actually, it talks about it being heard. The signs and wonders, they heard something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have to uh, put it in context of the duration of it, right? It only lasted like a day. Okay. Uh, or one night, right? It could have gone mm-hmm. further. Kind of like the Krakatoa explosion. It's that thing that happened that the world heard like three times over because it traveled around the world like three times. And yeah. We know there was that event that happened in that specific locality. Right. So you're saying something similar might have happened in wherever you think the Book of Mormon happened that would explain the night of no darkness. Right. And so, okay. so essentially you have these parameters that the scripture gives you. And then you, as a scientist, you take that and say, okay, it's it's an ancient text, so they're trying to, they're, they they don't really know the science, right? They're just trying to explain it in their vocabulary. So yeah. So basically, I looked at it and said, actually, and I, in the book, I go through all, I explain supernovas, all these things that don't work, um, but the one that does is you have what's called a coronal mass ejection or emission that can occur. The sun shifts its, um, about every 11 years, it shifts its magnetic field, uh, shifts uh, from one up, just reverses. Okay. And, and while it's shifting, it has all these crazy magnetic weird uh, functions, you know, things that occur uh, uh, that are, and what happens is, not always, but sometimes, periodically, it will throw off a huge amount of solar plasma. It's called a coronal mass emission, a CME. That uh, and it goes in any direction, but when it hits the Earth, and this happened in 1859, it's called the Carrington event. Yeah, oh, okay. When it hits the Earth, and you can probably bring up <clears throat> one of my illustrations here. Um, oh, did you email that to me? Yeah. Okay, it, I'm going to pull it up. Keep uh, talking. It's, yeah, it's free. It's uh, 25. Um, okay, awesome. Um, and essentially what happens is it hits the magnetosphere and actually warps the magnetosphere. Um <clears throat> It causes uh, huge electrical storms. Like the telegraph operators 
1859 got electrocuted and their telegraph unit started on fire. Whoa. Um, so, okay. And we've had a small one that was in Canada that wiped out part of the, knocked out the power grid a few years back. So, mm-hmm. okay. so, so they occur. But what happens is when it, when it hits the magnetosphere and, and basically warps the magnetosphere, it, sh- it supercharges the northern lights and the southern lights, the aurora borealis, and okay. it shifts them to the south. Okay. Um, and so this 1859 event, what you had was you had um, reported periods of brightness. Gold miners got up to mine. Uh, birds were up. It looked like it was kind of day, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And so so that, and, and it was of short duration, like 12 hours, 14 hours. That's the other thing. Really? And, and when it occurred in 1859, it only occurred in the, it didn't occur on the other side of the world. It only occurred in our hemisphere. So, so, is this that, similar, so that matches what is, we would expect. Is this similar to that event that happened in the early 1900s where like an electromagnetic, some kind of discharge from the sun created like an aurora borealis uh, magnetosphere event so intense that even as far south as Cuba, I believe the Cuban poet Jose Marti uh, wrote about it. Well, I think that's were... this. That's probably this event that he's talking about. I think. The... Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't think there was one. So okay, so, so they observed and they had. There was people seeing aurora borealis as far as south as Cuba. Yeah. Okay. Well, well this and, and this in the 1859 event, they saw it even into Colombia, right? Mm-hmm. So really, yeah. So you had oh, it in wow. Mesoamerica, you had it in Mexico, and it created not only. Um, uh, just they had domes, these weird dome. Uh, uh, the Northern Lights, uh, it, it it basically gave all these weird shapes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and super, you know. Of course, the Northern Lights looked like snakes, you know. So they were really these high um, red, green type snakes in the sky, you know. And so, okay, right. is that what this little picture on the back of your book was? Where I noticed that you said that like the yep. Aurora Borealis looks kind of like the snake. Yeah, and actually. We'll talk about that in another podcast, but, oh, the, okay. but the glyph form for the Night of Brightness in the character's document is next uh-huh. to it, and it looks just like it. So, Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah, so you're saying that this is actually the glyph form from where? From the character's document, the Reformed Egyptian. So. Oh, yeah, we did a podcast on that because you're the guy that actually translated the character's document. Dude, you are so cool, man. Well, you know, it's hard. Okay. <laughs> All right, so you literally think that the night of the signs and wonders of the coming of Christ and so on and so forth was, just repeat what it's called again? Uh, A CME, coronal mass ejection or coronal mass emission. Okay, and you are saying there was. I'm just. I'm. Yeah. I'm going over this to make sure that I'm. I'm. I'm catching up with you, my man. So you think it was a CME, a coronal mass ejection that would have happened two thousand years ago when Christ came to the Americas, but that there be is his birth. This would be his. Birth. Oh, sorry, yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, his birth before he came to the Americas. I right. apologize. Um, but yes, so that marked his birth. Famously, it's what uh, preserved the. Um, Lamanites from killing the Nephites because it was indeed the sign and wonder that came at his coming uh, at his at his uh, coming when he was born, um, as told in the Book of Mormon. So you're saying the CME uh, could explain why it wouldn't have been seen in Israel, but would have been seen in the New World in Book of Mormon territory, right. and that there's been many of these even into mon- modernity that have been registered and documented and recorded. Um, that kind of established not a precedent but a postident. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, they don't occur very. 
the big ones don't occur very often. They think there was one like in 600 AD, maybe, you know. Um, I did try to go back. The, the, the one in the 600 AD, it did leave a carbon-14, it modified the carbon-14 rate slightly, um, if you're familiar with radiometric dating. <laughs> yeah, wow, yeah, okay, yes. rock on. Yeah, if you're on that app, I don't know. But um, Okay, I, I don't know <laughs> that there's an app, but okay. It's one of the dating apps that not many people go on. So. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> scientific that's, dating app. that's very funny where you actually yeah. have to know what like you have to be able to say what uh not robert's rules of order that's for politicians but you have to be able to say what the fibonacci sequence is and in, in order to get on or i probably pronounce mispronounced no, that that's right but. fibonacci sequence yeah, yeah okay so anyway keep going and, and anyway so essentially you have um i i did go back and try to find and so i looked at the radiometric um uh they actually develop a radiometric curve that they use for the carbon-14 dating, and it's based on dendrochronology, which is looking at tree rings. Mm -hmm. And so that's how they determine if there is a slight fluctuation. They look at, you know, was was there something happened weird in one of the years that uh, maybe would indicate one of these events? Okay. Unfortunately, that date, they only were, they averaged, it was, I don't know, some trees out of Japan or something was what they used for the for developing the curve, and it was like an average. So I, I didn't have a particular, there was not a particular measurement in that year in the data set. So I couldn't see if there, if I could show, you don't necessarily expect it necessarily because the Carrington, this Carrington event didn't exhibit that. So, mm -hmm. okay. so I did try to go back and see if I could find um, evidence of a coronal mass emission around the birth date of Christ, right? Okay. Uh, so, and then I, I looked at some ice cores too. There's other, there's other chemicals, beryllium, and that. Again, why nobody cares about the, okay. no, <laughs> the weeds cool. here, but this I'm just saying. Cool. But, yeah. And, 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 I, I had this, and I had the same issue that I could not, the, the, the ice cores did not differentiate that particular time period of the, where I had measurements. So I couldn't really show it scientifically that it occurred. But the other, at the time of Christ, yeah, right, okay. But there's uh, ancillary to that, and let me go into it. Is the, is the other thing I was trying to figure out in this book, right? It's a chronology book, so I was trying to see yeah. can I figure out a more exact birth date of Christ, right? Okay. So in the Book of Mormon, you know, they pick this day to kill the people. Um, in Mesoamerica, they just don't kill people. If they pick a day, it's it's a ritual, right? Mm -hmm. okay. It's like a Ben and I. They waited two days to kill him, or you know. So they're 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 doing it on a particular day for a particular reason. They're obviously from the counter religion, right? So it's it's looking at um, the pagan or religion around them. They were obviously the minority. How could they be? You know, mm -hmm. be yeah. put to death if they were if they, were, they outnumbered the guys putting them to death, right? So, yeah, exactly. So okay. they were a very small group. So I said, okay. And then you have this curious verse just before that where it says there's this great uproar throughout the land. Doesn't Interesting. Uproar is not mentioned anywhere else in the Book of Mormon. And it's like, what is going on here? Well, in Mesoamerica, at a solar eclipse, they could predict the dates of solar eclipses because mm -hmm. they do come in cycles. Okay. They don't always – they couldn't tell if the solar eclipse was going to be visible over Mesoamerica, but they could tell somewhere on the Earth there was going to be one. So, and in Mesoamerica, before a solar eclipse or during a solar eclipse, number one, they go out and make this huge noise, screaming, yelling, 
and oh really yeah and and, and pound drums and make is that dogs is that howl. like an ancient practice or a modern one well as far as we know it, it, it was observed modernly right and meaning we, we don't have documentation unfortunately all the books were burned you know yeah the, Ma- the mayan <laughs> codices were destroyed and they were right. burned in a fire by many of the conquistadors yes but they have found some events that look like they correspond with that where a king is like uh, it's matching a uh, solar eclipse day so okay okay so, 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 so it's known that they tracked it mm-hmm. and so and the other thing the aztecs did was they would sacrifice people yeah um it, and they also preferred light complected or albino people to sacrifice which is kind of interesting <laughs> oh i never for, knew that yeah. really yeah and so Wait, there was an Aztec preference for albino people that because would, of a preference or because they viewed them as as it's, uh, it's just it's light complected or albino people. It, that's just what they observed when the when the Spanish came. Right. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. There's I a great explanation for why they chose those, which, you know, again, if you may look at you know, Nephites would probably, uh, you know, qualify there, too. So, mm-hmm. okay. so. So you're looking at a specific event and the reason they did it was because they believed that a, a, a serpent, because there's the level of the sky where the sun is, is also in their belief system, there's all these serpents at that level. And they, oh, okay. they believe the snake eats the sun. That's that's why, that's explaining the eclipse, right? Is I that think. kind of why in Serpent Mound, the mouth is facing the sun? And a lot of people talked about the serpent eating the sun. I'm not trying to say that uh, Serpent Mound is freaking Nephite or something like that, no, but I'm just saying I don't know many people... Made, I don't know if anyone's made that connection on the Serpent Mound. Yeah, look, I watched Graham Hancock's America Before. All right. Actually, I don't <laughs> even know what it was called. I can't remember. But I, I know in his book uh, that that's one of the things that... Um, I, I, I'm big into archaeoastronomy. I love, you yeah. know, there's the sun disk that you can find in the Four Corners area. There's obviously the archaeoastronomy of Stonehenge. Well, you like my book then. And so on and so forth. Yes, I, I'm, I'm totally into this kind of thing. And I know s- some people have surmised that if the Serpent Mound were built, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago or whatever, that its mouth would be facing the sun as it rises during, I can't remember if it was the, you know, the winter solstice or the autumnal yeah. equinox or whatever. But they said that the direction that the mouth is facing is uh, consistent with equinoxes at the time that they believe right. that it was built and therefore they saw a connection to lore that exists in other cultures further south saying that the serpent eats the sun. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and so essentially I said, okay, I, I kind of know basically the rough time frame when Christ was born prior to 4 BC. Okay, yeah. And Herod, you know, had died, but so a couple years before that, maybe 6 BC. Anyway, there I looked, and interestingly enough, there was a solar eclipse in Mesoamerica that rose in eclipse. That's really yeah, and it was partial eclipse, but and that was April sixteenth, six BC. Okay, really yeah. So so I surmise that uh, it would be interesting to them. It would have been a catastrophe because they have these snakes appearing in the sky. Night of brightness with all these red and right. green with and the snakes. Aura borealis, yeah, down just there with all these crazy snakes in the sky. Yeah, okay. And they believe snakes eat the sun, and then the sun comes up, half eat. Okay, oh. that's why they freaked out. Mm-hmm. For the pagan religion, it was catastrophe. Mm-hmm. 
An interesting. Yeah, and, and this all would have coincided on the same day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have the night of brightness, the snakes, and then the sun rises. Again, another sign and wonder. And so it's interesting because then I said, okay, I wonder in the old world what people have come up with. And there's a guy, Michael Molnar, an astronomer, and he basically said, you know, here's the problem with the Star of Bethlehem. Nobody freaking saw it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Aaron okay. didn't see it. His guys didn't see it. The yeah. only ones that knew about it or explained it, you know, thought of it, looked, even knew anything about it were the Magi, right? That came from far in the east. Yeah. Yes. And the c- cool thing about this solar eclipse that occurred at that date is it traveled and it set at sunset in Persia. <laughs> Or the Magi were. Whoa, really? Yeah. And and this guy, actually, he didn't even know about the solar eclipse. But he said, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the astrological techniques that the Magi would have used to project divine, you know, yeah. some strange birth. And he, he said, I identified, I used those techniques, identified one day where it's like a million to one. And it shows divine king in multiple ways. Basically, it's Jupiter as a star. The ma- the moon passed in front of it, and essentially came up with the date of April sixteenth, hmm. six BC, the exact same day I came up with. Whoa! Wait, wait. So you're saying an astrologer or an astronomist that was trying to track when that solar eclipse that rose in eclipse? No, no. He didn't know anything about the eclipse. He just took the. See, the, well, the wise men had these – they were astrologers, not – Yeah, uh, okay. Use the astronomy. These guys, mm-hmm. they were using their, like, okay, the – Their know, tools, the, their charts, their graphs. They yeah, were the yeah, awesome they're weird, dudes. They're weird yeah. stuff. And it's in the they were the Griffith, Griffith Observatory of 2,000 years ago. Yeah, yes. so they observed, but they had all these techniques, you know. And a lot of times it was after the fact because some emperor wanted to prove he was divine, right? And so they would, like, look at his birth date and, you know, that would – Add to his bona fides is this yeah okay powerful, cool divine okay. guy yeah so I'm just saying he came up with the same day and so I basically think and then the funky thing too is I said okay because <clears throat> you have software where you can look back I used Stellarium so you can actually look go back to a particular date and a particular location you can generate what the sky looked like there is a, the prophecy of Christ in Numbers is that a, a scepter would arise over Israel. And if you take that date, all the sun, the moon, because the, there's an eclipse, and all the planets are in this exact straight line. Whoa. Just like a scepter. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> so I, I do think I, I pr- can show pretty accurately. And then if you actually use that date in the Book of Mormon chronology, and there's specific year lengths that you got to use, it will have Lehi leaving just basically – two weeks before the siege started. Really? And you also have, I can show that the, you know, the final battle, uh, and I, I can get the date for the final battle, exactly when that occurred. And there are some Mesoamerican correlations there with some known history, um, namely that there was a king called uh, Born of Fire who came into Tikal and knocked off Jaguarapah, knocked off and went to other kingdoms. That was the year before the final battle. So because we have all these numerous Lamanites all of a sudden show, they were just overrun, right? Yeah. Uh, They didn't like have more kids. They obviously were consolidating power. Wow. Well, and the funky thing is the name of that king, Born of Fire, the Sheikok in in, in the Maya, um, Aaron, who is 
the king that Mormon battled. Uh huh. In Hebrew, Aaron means conceived or born in flame. Hmm. So it's the same guy. Yeah. Whoa, and, that is crazy. Right. And so essentially, I think I've now tied, I've got old world chronology ties. And if you also, if you take the that birth date of Christ, it matches exactly because uh, we, we know the length of Christ's um, life. He was there. We know he was a Wednesday crucifixion because there were three days of darkness. There's only one year where you have a Wednesday crucifixion. It matches exactly with that. So I, I, now we have complete correlation of all the the calendars and ties to the old world events. Mm-hmm. So, oh, this and, and plus, all and this is other. all in your book, right? This is all in your book. Uh, yeah, most of it. Okay, so you guys have to check this out. His the books name, are free. Yeah, the books are free online. You can buy paper copies if you want from his website. His name is Jerry D. Grover Jr. And the book is Calendars and Chronology of the Book of Mormon. It's totally awesome. Unfortunately, we got a hard out here. We're going to have to take a brief break, but we will be back in a minute. You guys are listening to Ward Radio. If you, for this and more, please check us out at wardradio.com. I just feel so good, good, good. Oh, I just feel so 